This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Uh, Maybe you've never been to a baptism quite like this before. Uh, Maybe you have, but it's an exciting time because what a baptism represents and symbolizes is, is that someone has come to Christ, that the Lord has given them new life. So the people who are going to be baptized today aren't being baptized so that makes them a Christian. That's not why they're being baptized. They're being baptized because they've already believed in Jesus. He's forgiven their sins. And today they want to go public with their faith. And they want to identify with Jesus as their Savior publicly. And uh, so we read about this in the Bible in Romans 6. Uh, It says, do you not know, Paul writes, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So he's saying what Jesus did, he did for us. And when we came to believe in Jesus, we were identified with him. When he died, that was death for our sins. When he was buried and then he rose again, that was the victory that he won for our sins. So that by believing in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for our sins, by turning from our sins, by repenting from our sins, and believing that he died for us, we receive new life. And that's what water baptism symbolizes, that that union, that unity with Jesus. So what's going to happen is our two uh, pastors here uh, are going to place people under the water and then bring them right, don't worry, right back out of the water. Uh, and uh, to symbolize that they were buried with Christ, they died, he died for their sins, and they've been raised, and they have a new life in Jesus. So this is an exciting time because it's a, it's a picture of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. So we celebrate what Jesus has done. And before they come, I was just thinking this morning, I also want to highlight this for us, church, is that this is the work of Christ we are celebrating. And we are highlighting what he has done And we're also saying thank you, Jesus, for working in these people's lives. And thank you for answering prayers. We've prayed a lot in the life of this church. Here's two prayers that have been constant since day one, nine and a half years, ten years ago, whatever, in this church. Number one, Lord, would you save all our children, all our kids. And so there's going to be several people here today baptized who've grown up in this church for years. And God has answered that prayer and given them new life. That's wonderful. We've also prayed, Lord, would you help us to reach out beyond our church and see people that don't know you, meet you, and come to new life in you. And so there's going to be a couple people baptized today with no evangelical church background. Someone in the church reached out and they became a Christian. And so we celebrate both, those who've grown up in the church, those who haven't been in an evangelical church. It's the work of Christ. And so today is a representation of answered prayer. And so we thank the Lord for that. So they're going to come and share a profession of faith, share a brief statement of their faith in Christ, and then they'll, uh, they'll go into the water and be baptized. So the first person up who's going to share, would you please come? Reese, you're up first. Hi, my name is Reese Prater. I've gone to church with my family all my life. I always thought of God as that nice guy up in heaven who had made the world. Then, when I was four, I prayed the sinner's prayer with my mom because I wanted to stay out of hell and I wanted to be perfect. I was confused after that, though, because I didn't feel any crazy life change. So for years, I prayed over and over. Around age nine, God showed me that 
I wasn't going to magically become a perfect person on Earth, but that I had become part of his family and was going to be able to serve him even with my mistakes. Since then, I have felt a great peace and have been able to learn more and more about him. I now knew that I didn't have to earn my way into his family. He had chosen me even though I was a sinner. I still mess up time after time, but I have faith that God has saved me, and because he first loved me, I can now love others and serve them. Today, I would like to publicly proclaim that Jesus Christ is my Savior, and I am now part of his family. We good? Can I just make a plug that the new uh, building have heated baptistry? Maybe you should make that plug. Okay. Reese, based on your profession of faith in Jesus, we baptize you, our brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You're buried with Christ through baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. My name is Lydia Malone, and I grew up in a Christian home with a Christian family. When I was little, I was a pretty sinful person. God made me feel guilty about my sins, and eventually, when I was eight years old, I turned to him and accepted Jesus into my life. I asked God to help me with my struggles, and he did. I can see him working in my life and helping me in the ways that I need help. Of course, I still have struggles, but God has definitely helped me to resist sin and trust in him. I know that I will have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Today I'm getting baptized to publicly announce that I am a Christian. Lydia, based on your profession of faith in Jesus, it's our joy to baptize you, our sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are buried with Christ through baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. Hi, my name is Lauren Edwards. Um, I honestly can't remember a time when I didn't think that I was a Christian. I never had any doubts about the resurrection or who God was. I believe Jesus died for me, and I repented and trusted in God many times throughout my childhood. However, I struggled with doubts about God's love for me personally. Every time there was an opportunity to be baptized, I never thought that I was ready because I felt like I kept messing up and that God was never pleased with me. I kept waiting to become a better person that I, so that I could feel like I could somewhat deserve God's love. I kept waiting to be transformed by Him, but how could I when I was so focused on my sin that I forgot God's amazing grace? A few weeks ago, I went to a Christian conference called Passion. It was here where I rediscovered God's love for me personally and how nothing I do will ever change that. God sent his only son to die for me so that I might be saved. God has opened my eyes to his love and unending grace for me. Now I'm slowly starting to be transformed in the presence of his grace. I am continually praying that I will be bear fruit in him, like John 15 states. Of course, I still mess up every day, and that will never change. However, I now know that no matter what I have, what I have done, um, I still have eternal life due to Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. As long as I trust in him, none of my actions can separate me from Christ's love. And I'm being ba- baptized today to declare um, that I love Jesus. 
Lauren, based on your profession of faith in Christ, we baptize you, our sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You're buried with Christ through baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. Good morning, everyone. I'm Melissa Arroyo Moore, and I was raised in the Latin American Roman Catholicism faith. Although I followed its religious practices, I had no real understanding of Jesus. I didn't truly know about my own salvation and what he had done for me until one day in May 2014, I had a providential meeting with a new friend that set the ball in motion in knowing Jesus. That day, I had been overcome with feelings of anxiousness I could not shake. When I shared my feelings with my new friend, she looked at me and said, Melissa, I'm not surprised. When I asked what she meant, she stated, Ever since I met you, I could see the hurt in your eyes. So I asked my Lord Jesus, I have met Melissa. What is it that you would like for me to do with her? I was taken aback in shock. She asked me what was the state of my faith during that lunch. We spoke about my faith, and I soon realized we had a lot in common. She shared her testimony with me and how she became saved, and I was amazed with God's power. Two things asked of me during that lunch made me question my own beliefs about Jesus. The first question was, why do you think Jesus died on the cross? And second, what is the main commandment? Both transformed my whole belief of the state of my faith. When I couldn't answer the first, embarrassingly, and the second answer was just as vague, she answered, to quote, to atone for our sins so that we may have a personal relationship with him and our Father in heaven. And the second, thou shalt have no other gods before me, but also we shall not make for ourselves an image in the form of anything in heaven or above, and not bow down to them or worship them. With these biblical answers, I realized in that moment that I had not been living to please God. Those were my first aha moments. I didn't get offended. I actually knew it was truth as if my spirit recognized it as truth. It was amazing. Then, after that lunch, she immediately gave me my first Bible. I had never opened a Bible before that. I had never read the Word of God. And she also invited me to attend Grace Church. I didn't realize the true meaning of salvation at that moment until one day I was driving, and out of the blue, I asked the question in my mind, what are we being saved from, Lord? The Holy Spirit revealed to me scripture about Adam and Eve and the first sin, our separation from God, and an unmistakable clear phrase which said, I want that which was stolen from me. The more was revealed, then more was revealed in that Jesus died on the cross to remove sin so that we can be reunited with God. When I asked further, it was revealed to me that I was being saved from eternal death and final judgment on judgment day when I stand before the Lord. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) In that moment, I was like, oh, now I get it. (laughs) And I tested the spirit, referring back to the Bible, what it had revealed to me. At that moment, I believed in Jesus, and I made him my Lord and Savior. And truly understood what he did for me and you, and what it means to have a personal relationship with him. The Holy Spirit continued to guide me in my studies of the word and the teachings of Christ. And so now publicly I proclaim that my Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior, and I thank him for all he's done for me.
Melissa, based on your profession of faith in Christ, it's our joy to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are buried with Christ through baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Melissa's daughter. I'm Natalie Giselle Roars. I have a different last name, but I'm, she's my mom. <laughs> um, I had a bad habit with questioning things that could have easily been answered by God. Why me? Why me was probably my most used question. My father's no longer a part of my life, although my stepfather is here for me and he's right there. I never really had a male figure in my life. That was a pain that I wanted to be healed. I also was atheist, a non-believer to God, and everything holy. I did believe in ghosts, but that wasn't really the same thing. <laughs> um, I was always searching for a reason why I was here. My mom recently converted to Christianity from being a part of the Catholic Church, um, which we barely attended anyway. I mean, yeah. I hated going to church like any other child being dragged along all the time for the sake of not being grounded. But the time in Grace Church has done me well, along with the great talks about God with my mother frequently. I began to feel something that I never had felt before. I have actually surprised not only myself, but my friends and my family with my newly felt beliefs. My friends are atheists, and I believe I was pressured into that mindset. But I stood up for myself one day and said that God is my God and everything has a purpose. And saying those words to them gave me so much pride and happiness. I feel like I never really felt before. As for the pain from my father, I now have somebody to look up to in Jesus. His name is Jesus. And I can feel that love that I've wanted for so long. My pain, depression, and helplessness has been lifted thanks to him. And I can now smile again. I, um, I proudly proclaim that I'm a Christian and that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and he died on the cross for me in my sins. Natalie, um, is our joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are buried with Christ through baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. And uh, just to let you know, we had more folks than we, uh, we sort of, uh, we could have done a whole service of baptism, but we didn't. Uh, so we're going to baptize a couple more people next week. And uh, so if you, if you have, that are already ready to go, but if you're a new Christian uh, or even someone who's been a Christian for a while, you've never been baptized, uh, and you'd like to, if you would see Rob, uh, or his brother, or whatever, but uh, if you would <laughs> see, sure, Joe, he'll do baptismal interviews for us, but if you'd see Rob, uh, and, and then uh, he'll tell you what you need to do to get ready. If you could see him today, it'd be great, because we would like to talk to you and help you get ready. It's not a spontaneous thing, but you could easily be ready by next week, next Sunday. So uh, see him if you are a believer in Jesus and have not been baptized, would like to be baptized. Open your Bibles, please, to Hebrews 10. 
Hebrews 10. We're going to look at a passage of scripture that is a little bit doctrinal and theological today. And I hope to, I hope the point of this lesson will be, wow, doctrine really matters. Theology really impacts my life. The Bible really can affect uh, my, how I know God and how I relate to him. So I'm just telling you ahead of time, there's a few statements in here that, uh, phrases that I'm going to need to explain a little bit, but I think it's, I think the message of this passage just, just sings. And so it's always great when we got a bunch of middle school and high schoolers that slept two of the last 48 hours to preach a doctrinal message. So I may randomly in this sermon pound on the pulpit and yell just to wake them up. And uh, so young people, you should be awake. Last week, we, I preached a whole message on getting ready, getting rest, coming as a hearer, a hearer uh, to God's word. And then we do a retreat where sleep deprivation is part one activity on the schedule, you know. And so that's really poor planning for the uh, pastors of this church. We did not serve the young people well by doing or uh, doing that. So I, or, or the, uh, the families, the parents that hosted all the adults. So I'm sorry about that. So if I randomly yell, it's to wake you guys up. Um, and if you do sleep, get the podcast and listen to it later tomorrow or something like that, okay? Um, here's what we did. Last week, I ended a series on the scripture, on the word of God, and we ended with a passage talking about listening to the word of God preached and the importance, what I was just referring to, of being a hearer of the word of God, anticipating God's voice to speak to us through the scripture as we gathered, that Timothy was called to preach the word and implicitly The congregation was called to hear God's word, preach to them, and to respond. So we talked about that. Today I want to talk about, this is a solo message, not in a series. We start Genesis in two weeks. But today I want to talk about this. It it really relates to last week. When we gather in worship like this on Sunday, how are we to gather? What, is to, what are we to come knowing? What, what, what should inform our gathering? And what should be our attitude when we gather? Not only to hear the word, but to uh, practice the ordinances of the church like baptism and the Lord's Supper, to fellowship, to sing, uh, to exercise spiritual gifts, to pray, to hear God's word preached, all these things, to hear the reading of scripture, uh, to do corporate confessions as we do sometimes responsive readings, all these things. Why, what, how do we approach the Lord? And so we're going to look in Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. This is God's word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and based on what we just read, we do want to draw near to you. We want to hear from you, and we don't come today as those who are good enough to hear from you. We don't come today as those who've been obedient enough to earn your favor. We don't come as those who are putting in our good works by attending church so that you will bless us. We come as those who are sinners 
but we come with our Savior Jesus, Father. And we come based on his blood, based on his sacrifice, based on his priesthood. We come to you, Father, today, and we ask that you would speak to us through your word, that you would reprove, that you would rebuke, that you would exhort, that you would comfort, that you would encourage, that you would do what you want to do in our hearts from your word. We are listening Give us ears to hear, and Lord, I joked earlier, but in all seriousness, I pray for the young people and for the adult volunteers and for the families that hosted. I, I pray that you'd get, just miraculously give them alertness this next bit so that they wouldn't miss what you want to say. And help us all, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, normally we teach through books of the Bible, so I, I can't say everything that's happened in Hebrews so far. It's really, really important, everything that has happened. But let me just say this. The, the book is written to Christians that are from a Jewish background, but they're starting to be persecuted for their faith as Christians, and it's difficult for them. And so the writer of Hebrews, we, it's an anonymous writer, but the writer of Hebrews is writing to say, look, consider what you have in Jesus. And so the whole book is about how Jesus is greater than what they were used to under the old covenant. So he's saying, Jesus is greater than all the angels. Hang on to Jesus. He's hanging on to you. Uh, Jesus is greater than Moses. Uh, Jesus is greater than the priests. Jesus is greater than the high priest. Jesus is greater than the sacrifices. Jesus is greater than the temple. As a matter of fact, they all point to him and find their fulfillment in him. So he's saying all these things. Realize how great Jesus is. He's, he's the fulfillment of everything you've hoped for. Um, and so don't, don't back off when the pressure's on because you're connected to Christ and think about how glorious he is. Realize what a difference he makes. And so he's been saying all these things up until this point, and this is a great passage because now he gets to a very clear application. He says, based on everything that Jesus has done for you and who he is, here's the application. And if I could say it in one word, this would be the word, access. Access. He's saying you now have access to God the Father himself. You have direct access to his presence without a sacrifice, without a priest, without a temple. You have direct access to the Father because Jesus has made a way for you. It's just great news. And we hear that and we're kind of familiar. And, and, and maybe it doesn't it's not shock and awe to us, but if you were a Jew who had converted to Christianity, who's receiving this, you're like, your mind is blown. Man, my whole background is turned upside down. Everything we've hoped for is, is found in Christ. And this would just be utterly amazing news. And, and, and it is for all of us. Here's what he says. Let me, before, let me say a little bit of the background here before we get to the direct application. He says, when we become believers in Christ, we have new access. Look what he says, verse 19. Brothers, since we have confidence to enter, that's an access word, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So what he's saying is, because Jesus shed his blood, that is, he died on the cross, we now have confidence, we now have a boldness to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We can approach God because of what the Father, because of what the Son has done by a new and living way that is open through his curtain. Now see, this would have made total sense to them because they understood the temple had, had cordoned off sections. 
So there was, um, a, a, there was a court of Gentiles. There was a, an area that, that and Gentiles could go no further. There was an area for women they could go no further. There was an area for Hebrew men that they could go no further than. There was an area for priests that they could go no further. And the ultimate, the high priest was able to go into this holy of holies, which was curtained off. The Ark of the Covenant was in there. And he could only go in there one time a year on the Day of Atonement. So there was these series of barriers as to how close you could get to the presence of God for the worshipers. And so now he's saying Jesus has shed his blood and we have confidence. We go right past the court of Gentiles, so to speak, right past where the Hebrew men could go, right past where the priests could go, right where the only one dude could go, the high priest. We go right, we have access to our father. Jesus has made a new and a living way. It's new because nobody could do this before Christ. And it's new qualitatively as well. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and we have direct communion with God our Father without going through an animal sacrifice, without going through a priest who intercedes for us. We have direct access, a new and living way. It's, It's kind of an unusual phrase on first glance, right? He says that we go through the curtain, which is his flesh. What it's saying is when his body was torn, when Jesus bore our sins, the curtain that separated us from God was torn. And through his death, we now can relate to our Father uh, directly, relate to the Son, relate to the Spirit. So it's just hard to imagine how radical this would be for the first readers of this letter and, and how radical it is for us. We take it for granted that no one had to bring an animal sacrifice here today. There's not blood all over the carpet. There's not, uh, we're not cutting the neck and draining the blood of an animal because we've been sinful. We just all came here. We, we didn't have a priest. I'm not doing something. One of the other elders, we're not doing something to get you to God, that, you, that, that we're somehow special. It's priesthood of believers. We're all believers in Jesus. We're all part of his royal priesthood. We all have direct access. Amazing. We could just walk in here and sing songs. We just hear God's word, pray, interact in his very presence as he is with us today and as he's with us as we leave as well. So all that's been written, all that's been written in Hebrew so far is really summarized in verses 19 to 20. And it says this, Jesus is the greater sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is the greater high priest. That's the preparation that the previous 10 chapters have given us. So what does that mean? What difference does that theology and that biblical history uh, and that old, old covenant imagery, what difference does it make? We've had all the setup, so what do we do with it? I read an example from an author who said this, who gave an example about this passage that we're reading right now, and particularly verse 22, because in verse 22, he, trans, he transfers to what difference it makes. Let us draw near because of all that Jesus has done. This is what he said. I watched as my mother came in from shopping, carrying several bulging bags. She called me to help get the rest from the car. I couldn't think why she'd bought so much food. But I fetched and carried and unloaded as best as I could. Then I remembered all the telephone calls the previous week. Normally, Mom wouldn't make more than two or three calls a day, but there had been perhaps a dozen or two dozen calls. Then that evening, she enlisted my help in tidying the main front rooms of the house, polishing a table here and there. I I was surprised, but I didn't think much of it. I was no doubt living in my own small world as children do. But then the following afternoon, the doorbell began to ring ring and one person after another came into the house it was a party all the shopping 
Phone calls and polishing had been getting things ready for a celebration. Friends and neighbors were invited. Everything was prepared. Now I saw where it had all been going. Hebrews has now, if I can put it like this, done the shopping, made the telephone calls, polished the silver. At last, the invitation goes out. Come to the party. Verse 22 is the primary reason, that's draw near, it's the primary reason we've come all this way, collecting key passages from Scripture, marshalling arguments here and there, calling up ideas and images, familiar and unfamiliar, shaping and polishing the exposition of Jesus as God's Son, the truly human one, the great high priest, the mediator of a new covenant. Now we see where it's all been going. Let's come to worship. Lay out in summary, uh, verses 19 through 21, lay out in summary form everything we've been told so far. Our boldness of access into God's presence through Jesus' blood, which takes on a new and living path to the innermost shrine through the work of our high priest. Draw near means come to worship. All that this letter has communicated in all verses 19 through 21 about the sacrifice and the high priest, all they have said lead up to this action, verse 22, let us draw near. So there's three responses in this passage, draw near, uh, uh, hold fast, and stir up. Draw near, hold fast, up. So the first one is draw near. Based on what Christ has done, we are to draw near. He has made a sacrifice so that we can come before him. Look at verses 11 in the same chapter, back a little ways, leading up to this. It says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for him. So Jesus has completed the sacrifice. He sat down. He's no longer at work. Work meant standing up. That was work. You worked in the farm. You worked wherever. We have sitting jobs now. Many of us do, but they didn't have sitting jobs in that day. The the priest stood to work. When you sat down, that means your work was done and you rested. Jesus is sitting down. He is resting. The work is done. So you come before your father. Approach. Enter. Come near him. He has done all the work and we get all the benefit. He did all the work and now we get the invitation to come to God. He did all the, it's more than an invitation, it's a command, draw near to God. And look at how we're to draw near. He says, let us draw near, verse 22, with a true heart, that is come with sincerity in your heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Come, he says, with full assurance of faith. Come with confidence. The word confidence in verse 19, it means authorization. You are authorized to come before God. So come with boldness, chapter 4 says. Come with confidence. Approach with assurance, knowing that your conscience has been cleansed because blood was sprinkled on you. It wasn't, it wasn't an animal's blood sprinkled on you, but figure Figuratively speaking, the blood of Jesus is sprinkled on your mind and he cleanses your conscience. Because of what Jesus did, you have a clean conscience. You've been washed with water. Draw near because you have, what does he say? You have been washed with pure water. 
There was all these purification ceremonies that priests had to go through before they could come to Jesus. But you've been washed with with water. Uh, The Spirit has washed and cleansed you and forgiven you and made you a new person, symbolized in your baptism, that you're given new life, and then you are baptized. You have been washed by God, so receive the benefits and come. What difference does this make? Here's what he's saying. Don't hang back in the shadows distant from God. Don't hold back. Don't don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie that we can hear that he's waiting for you to somehow prove yourself before you can come into his presence. That God somehow, as we gather this morning, sitting there and saying, okay, you know what? After you have a little while longer where you don't do that sin again, then you can come into my presence. I want to see some track record. I want to see you prove yourself that you're serious. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say you can come uh, once you are more mature. You can come uh, once you, uh, you'll be welcomed before him once you're a better person. God's not saying, hey, you show me you're a better wife, then you can come into my presence and gather with my people. He's not saying you show me that you are a better student, you show me that you're a better witness to unbelievers, then you can come. You show me that you're better with your money. You show me you're doing better with that battle with lust. You show me that you're doing better when you get your anger under control. Then you're welcome to come. It's not about you being a better person. It's about Jesus being the better sacrifice. Jesus being the better high priest. In the book of Hebrews, the better is Jesus. And he's the best. He's perfect and flawless. So he says, you come because you have a better sacrifice in Christ. You have a better high priest. We don't, we're not welcome before him once we get our act together. We would never come if that was the case. Your act will never be together holy enough to be able to come before the presence of God based on your conduct. You'll never avoid sin enough to be welcomed by him. You'll never pursue righteousness enough to be welcomed by him. The only way you can come is because of what Jesus has done for you. And that's why all this theology and all this work of Christ is presented before us. He wants us to come into his presence, but we must understand why he calls us and why we're welcomed. We're to come with confidence because of what Jesus has done. He's saying, don't stand in the shadows, receive the benefits and come. And may I also say, don't stand in the shadows pursuing darkness and sin. Jesus has done all this from us. Let's leave our sins and run into his presence. Once, we've, once Jesus has died for us, we don't want to stay in the shadows thinking, when will I be good enough to be accepted? We want to come, but neither do we want to stay in the shadows pursuing darkness. We want to come because of what Christ has done for us, welcomed into his presence. Listen, we can speak kind of strangely about coming into God's presence in ways that really aren't that, that biblical in some ways. Like we, we can say, especially in contemporary, uh, historically this would have been more in a charismatic, just charismatic churches, but now with kind of the modern worship movement, this is everywhere, this kind of idea that it's sort of the worship leader. So we got a guy standing up here and, you know, it's his job to play the right songs and, and come and, and get us into the presence the worship leader gets us into the presence of God. Or the worship, meaning the singing, as if the whole service isn't worship. It's all worship. But the singing, we often call the worship. So, uh, you know, we're singing and it's, you know, I come and I, it's, once we start singing, that's when I get into the presence. That singing gets me in the presence. Or that song. Dude, we did that one song and man, I was in the presence. It's that one, man, it, here's how I go. That song brings the presence. 
hey, that song, those songs, that guy, don't bring the presence. Jesus brings us into the presence of God. We all have access to the presence of God from the first song. Before you even got here, while you're at home, you have access to the presence of God because Jesus shed his blood, because he tore down the curtain through what his, he did by dying as a sacrifice for us so that we have access it's not a guy. It's not, I can't, pre- well, you know, I don't really like the music, but when they preach at the church, I like those sermons. I can kind of feel, I get into the presence when God's word is preached. Yes, it is the God-breathed word, and God's presence does attend the preaching of the word, but it's not the preacher that gets us into the presence. That preacher's really good, man. I feel the presence of God when he preaches. The other guy, I just think about lunch, or this guy over here, or that guy I saw on TV. It, no, it's not a man that gets you into the presence. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that has made a way from you. So draw near. Don't wait for a certain song. Don't wait for a certain sermon. Don't wait for a certain feeling. Don't wait for a certain worship leader. Don't wait for the mood. We got to get the mood. Let's get the lighting and the sound and let's get the mood just right. Then we're in the presence. Get a few candles and we're totally in the presence. No, (laughs) Jesus gets us into the presence of God once and for all. He sat down saying, my work is over. Now you draw near. He's not, he's done. We have access. We have access. When you came today, did you come aware of the access that you have to God? Do you feel God's welcome? I know I use the word feel intentionally. Do you in your, the affections of your soul, in the affections of your soul, do you sense a welcome from the Lord because you understand this truth in your mind and because you understand it in your mind, it affects your affections. It affects your emotions for the Lord. Do you feel his welcome? Do you come with confidence? Today, did you come with confidence and awe and joy before the Father? And if not, because I don't always, if not, why not? Is it because you're more aware of your sins and your failures and your lack of progress and your weaknesses, and so you come to the corporate worship or to your private time with the Lord, or just you come just feeling like the Lord doesn't welcome you, that you're not called to draw near until you do penance, until you do some pro- pro- probationary time, do some probationary time of feeling really guilty, and then you're welcome. Is it because you're more? Is it is it because your eyes are on you and not on the high priest who has made a way for you? Are you more aware of where you failed? Are you more aware of the victorious Savior who said, it is finished, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession, saying, draw near, come close, approach your God. Maybe we don't sense the welcome of God because we're just overly familiar. There's just no awe. It's just like, yeah, I just went to church. I just got up, kind of went in, heard some music. It was kind of like a band entertainment thing, and then heard a guy talk. It was kind of a historical lecture. That was kind of interesting. Then I went home. It was just, that's what I did. Or is it, no, we're coming corporately before our God. The whole book of Hebrews is, is ultimately pictures from the corporate worship of the people of God under the old covenant. He's saying we are into a new, better covenant now. We certainly relate to God individually, but even under the new covenant, God's still about building a people. It's still about the people of God. And as we gather with his people, are we just familiar? It's kind of, do I just kind of just stroll in and I don't know, sometimes kick in about the third song or so, third song, second cup of coffee, whichever hits first, then I'm kind of into it. But before that, I don't know, I'm just kind of, are we coming just familiar? I think the Lord wants to restore an awe of access because if you were a first century Jew who got converted, you'd be going, 
Are you serious? Wait a minute. You mean to tell me I don't have to, no more animal sacrifice? I don't need a priest? I don't have to go to the temple? Are you telling me that we can have direct acts? I can spiritually encounter the Lord like the high priest did in the Holy of Holies, which we only heard about and never saw? Are you, what? Back in the 90s, I can't remember the year, but my wife had an old friend uh, who worked at the White House. This was before 9-11. It was a very different world. It was in uh, the 90s. And her friend was the receptionist in the West Wing of the White House. Now, that's, that's pretty amazing. And uh, so we were in D.C., and her, her friend said, hey, why do you guys, it was a weekend, so nobody's there. Why don't you guys come down to the West Wing? And, whoa, nobody ever said that to us. No one's ever said it since <laughs> because of our behavior that day. No, um, <laughs> So we're like, oh, yeah. So it was different than they had to get our, obviously, they ran a background check on us at the gate or whatever. They, they, they ran a background check on us and said, come on in. So, there was no, so we just walked right into her desk, and there's, like, Washington crossing the Delaware painting right there. I, I wondered if it was original. I Googled the, the original burned. It was not the original. But anyway, it's a copy. But uh, so that's right there. And then we were, just, like, able to walk in. I remember at one point, because no one was there, uh, we were able to walk in and, like, peek into the Oval Office. And that was like, I mean, for us, uh, culturally, that's like a holy of holies. That's like a place of power. And I didn't want to step over because I didn't know, like, is a guy going to come out or what's going to happen? <laughs> Thinking like, are there cameras around here, like, looking at my internal organs? And what's, what's going on? This is like, what's going on here? They could probably read my mind in there. You know, There's, they have the technology, I'm sure, probably reading my thoughts. And I just remember looking in that room and going, whoa. I mean, not worshiping it or idolatry, but that is a, that's just not a place you just kind of walk in. We're in jeans. It's a weekend casual. It's not just a place you just sort of walk into. But I just remember walking around and just being awed that this is where the most powerful individual in the world, uh, arguably, uh, does his work. And uh, this is where, like, who's walked down this hallway to go into a meeting with him? Who's used this restroom? Who stood at this desk? Who's had conversations? Just thinking, wow. Now, there are people that work there for years that every day they slide, I don't know how they do it, but let's say they slide a badge. Here's my access, just slide your card, access, come on in. It's just a job. Familiar, day in, day out. They just kind of work there. That's what they do. They're an analyst or they work somewhere. They're a, uh, you know, they work as an, a, as an assistant or they do research or what, whatever they do. They, they just work in the, somewhere in the White House. They prepare food and it's just a job. I mean, after a while, it's just familiar. Slide your card and do your job. Not for us. We're in awe. We don't ever get to do this and never will do it again in post 9-11. Just so you know, you ain't going to do it either. None of us are going to go do that kind of thing, kind of walking around in the open with a friend there on the weekends. That's never happening anymore. So we were awestruck. And I think that's what the Lord says, man, you have access to, do we realize the invitation that God extends to us to be in his presence, or are we overly familiar? We're not just flashing our badge, I'm a Christian, just sliding our card coming in and yeah, just kind of having a meeting. We are invited into God's presence here, friends, and it is because of the great sacrifice of our Savior who bore our sins and suffered on the cross for us, was buried, and was raised to defeat the power of sin and to declare us righteous in him so that we come in with his name and in his authority. And we actually come boldly and confidently in Jesus, not in ourselves. So we want to come looking to be awed 
that our sins are forgiven, we're declared righteous, our hearts are sprinkled clean, our consciences have been cleansed by Christ, we're washed with water. That's what the text says. Elsewhere, the Bible says we're adopted by a father who loves us and causes us to come into his presence. Draw near, church. Draw near because of Jesus. He's honored. He's not honored when we hold back in the shadows. He's not honored when we're overly aware of our sin and not aware of his forgiveness. He's not honored when we're familiar. He's honored when we come in and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me. I gather, I draw near in faith in you. Number two, he says, hold fast. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Because Jesus has made a way, it said a new and living way, because he's opened the curtain for us to have access to God, because of that, hold on to that hope. Jesus is our hope. Hold on to that hope. The church was suffering persecution. Later in this chapter, you can actually read about that. They're suffering difficulty, having their goods taken from them, etc. So they're suffering for the faith. And so there's the tendency or the temptation can be to give up. It's too hard. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I mean, I, be- I believe in Jesus, but this, is, this isn't what I signed up for. It's difficult. We're getting harmed. It's not a blessing. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not prosperity at every turn, health, and it doesn't feel like a lot of health and wealth going on here. We're having our stuff stolen. We're being imprisoned. It's hard. That's what's going on for them. So he says, hold on to your hope. He made a way for you, and he secured a way forever through a single offering, the, the Bible says in this, just a few verses up, through a single offering, he perfected us by grace, declared us righteous for ever is what he's done by the blood of Jesus. It's not just that we have our conscience cleansed, verse 22, our conscience cleansed of past sin or present sin. There's the promise that our future sins are forgiven in Christ. I mean, come on, is that amazing? That, that is a hope. He said, hold fast the confidence of your hope. What is the hope? That he has made a way for us, that he has uh, died for our sins and sat down at the right hand of the Father, that because of his blood, we can come in through a new and living way. He's the great high priest of the house. That's the hope. And so if that's my hope, I need hope has, is always forward-looking. Hope's not in reverse. Hope's looking forward. I need to look forward and hold fast in confidence. I need to hold fast, verse 24, uh, I'm sorry, verse 23, hold fast the confession of our hope. What's the confession of our hope? That Jesus is our sacrifice. He is our savior. He is ruling over us as the high priest. He has made a way. He has forgiven us. He has washed us clean. These are all the images. He has cleansed our conscience. That's my future hope. So what does that mean? Draw near and hold fast to your hope. We don't, before, the, God is holy and we fear him. I want to be very clear, that's in the scripture. But we don't walk on eggshells around God as if maybe he doesn't accept us at any moment. Just at any moment he says, I said draw near, oh, until that happened. Get out of here. That, that's not what he's saying. Draw near because your sins are always forgiven in Christ. And when we sin, we come before him and we confess those sins. When we fall, we come before him and we come before our high priest and sacrifice and we, we confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us for what we've done. And he's faithful and just to forgive us uh, in the future as well. I think the hope here in the context 
In the context, I think the hope is that the access we have will continue, that the forgiveness we have will continue, that the welcome we have is not seasonal, but the shelf life on the welcome is eternity. And so that's the way it's going to be. The life, may, life may be difficult, but you will, always have, <coughs> you will always have a welcome before the Lord. Your sins are forgiven today, and you know what? Your sins are forgiven tomorrow. And receive this. Your sins are forgiven next week. And your sins are forgiven next year. And by the way, the Bible teaches that your sins are forgiven 100,000 years from now, if you're a believer, because you'll be in his presence. And that's an incentive to holiness. That's not an incentive to say, oh, well, then I can do what I want. Then we've never understood grace. If I, that's our attitude, Paul says, you don't understand grace. Grace says your sins are forgiven in the future. That's your hope. Hold fast to Jesus. Come into his presence. Celebrate what he's done. Honor him. Love him. Serve him. The hope is that this isn't going to change. That's our assurance. Life may go bad, but Jesus isn't going bad on you. Circumstances may change. Jesus is faithful. That's, that's what he says. Let us hold fast without wavering. Don't give up on your faith in Christ, for he who promised is faithful. He promised you eternal life. He promised you forgiveness. He promised you eternal access in his presence face to face after you die. He's faithful. You don't waver because he's hanging on to you and he's going to keep those promises. That brings freedom. We're not on eggshells around God like, what's he going to do? He's not the, the angry dad on the couch that everything's okay until you step, stepped into the way of the game that he was watching on TV and then he yelled at you or worse, got his belt off and chased you around. It was just irrational. God's not the drunk father who's out of control yelling at his kids when they don't know what they did, but at some moment crossed some line and everything changed. That's not God. He's the loving father who once and for all accepted the sacrifice of his son who sat down at his right hand and is interceding for us today. That's the father, and he always says, come, welcome into his presence. Lastly, and we'll finish here, stir up. So he says, Draw near, hold fast, and stir up. Specifically, stir others up. Verse 25, verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another. Some of you going, great, man, I stir up people all the time. I didn't know that was in the Bible. <laughs> I've always been telling, man, stop stirring things up. God says, stir them up. Yeah, I got, got a verse. That's my life verse. Now, he's not talking about that kind of stir people up because you're obnoxious. It's not saying that kind of stir up or I'm, you know, I could do the same thing. That's saying stir people up that way. The NIV translates it spur them on like you would spur on an, a horse to get going, you know. Encourage them to press on is what he, what he says. The access you have is individual. It is for you, but it's so that you encourage and help others to take uh, their access to God as well and draw near and hold fast together as well in context. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up. So think about how can we help others pursue the Lord? Think about that. Pay attention, he says. Focus on how you can help others uh, relate to Christ and to grow other Christians, stir one another up to love and good deeds. How can we help others? Uh, how can we love others and help others love one another? and help others love the Lord? And how can we help others walk in good works? Uh, Ephesians 2 says we were created for good works, that Jesus saved us not by our works, but by his work. And then once we're saved, he's given us new life. 
Why? So that we can live like him and grow to be more and more like him. Good works. So the people who were baptized today, they didn't do good works to get baptized, but they have new life in Christ. They're raised to walk in a new life is what happened to them when they believed. And so we, we, we are, we're to live, to, we're to do good works as believers, to honor the Lord and to love others and to serve other people. So how do we do that? This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible uh, because it's simplistic. So there's all this theology, right? There's this uh, high priest, and what's that? And blood sprinkled and curtains torn and, bl- and w- washings taking place and a living way and holy places. All this language is like, wow, what? that is really different. You know, that's, that's really historic and Old Testament, very interesting, different stuff. Uh, and then, so what do you do? Well, at the end, he says, because of all that stuff that Jesus has done, uh, we need to encourage one another. And how do you do that? Uh, the first, here's what he says, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. Now, that's not my favorite verse because I just want everybody to show up. That's my favorite verse, but one of my favorite verses because it's simplicity. High theology, high doctrine. Well, how do we do that? Show up. That's what he says, just show up. Don't be like the person who doesn't show up, and then that's their habit. They just keep not showing up. Don't do that. So what what do you need to do? Show up. And I'm like, I mean, I can't do a lot. Maybe a lot of things I can't do, but I can do that. I can meet together. That that is, I can can be there. That's what he says. Come and and be there. Be with the people of God. And, And why is he saying that? Why is he saying don't neglect meeting together uh, when God's people gather for worship, when God's people gather for fellowship, when God's people gather to encourage one another? Why is he saying to be there so that people can like get a perfect attendance record? No, it's not to get a perfect attendance record uh, somehow. It, It is because we're to encourage one another and strengthen one another, and we can't do that if we're not with one another. It's it's human presence. It's being together physically. He's, he's saying that. Note the contrast. Don't cease to be together. Don't neglect meeting together, but encourage one another. He's saying to encourage one another, you've got to be with one another. And the danger is that we can feel like we're really encouraging one another, and maybe we are, but we can feel like we're really connected uh, because we have virtual means of connection, because we have Facebook, because we have Twitter, because we can text somebody, because we can Snapchat, because we can Skype or, fa- or FaceTime or whatever. We, we, so we sort of think that we have all these ways that we can be connected, but he's talking here about personal presence, that we are encouraging one another because we are meeting together, because there is a togetherness. I won't encourage my community if I'm not with my community. I won't encourage you if I'm not present with you. The Bible's very clear with a kind of a doctrine of embodiment. The, God, the Bible's not like pro-spirit and opposed to anything that's physical. There is something powerful about physically being together. Um, and we are together before the Lord to encourage one another. Now, I've taught this verse... Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. I think I've taught that verse twice in the history of my church. Our church. I looked it up. And from what I can tell, I taught something about that in uh, 2009. And I taught something about that in 2013, unless there's somewhere I missed. That, that's what I, how often I've thought of, think I've taught about it. Uh, but, I, but I use it as an application for community groups, our small groups, because we encourage one another as we are together. But I'm going to think about this just for a moment as we're wrapping up. I think about this for our Sunday gatherings. gatherings. 
that we're not to forsake being together in this way, not because God's after perfect attendance records or because, uh, you know, we're earning something for him or we're, you know, obligated to just do things we don't want to do because that's... No, we're, we're called to come because Jesus has made a way. Take advantage of the blessings you have. Take access is what he's saying. And to do so, we help one another. So I was just thinking about this meeting. Do you know your presence here encourages other people? Here's an example. We sing. I talked about the worship leader, talked about singing songs. We sing to the Lord. That's in the Bible. There's a whole book about it called the Psalms. So we sing to the Lord. But do you know that the Bible actually teaches that we also sing to one another? That we gather, we sing to one another as well. That we are called, this, this is what Ephesians says, <clears throat> be filled with the Spirit, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of, the, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we actually sing to one another. Now, I'm not going to do that awkward thing where look at your neighbor and sing to him. I don't know if you've ever done been. I've, I've been in that meeting. Um, I'm, I bear the scars, emotional scars, like looking at a stranger and singing. And I'm not talking about that. But, I mean, it'd be okay to look around. There's nothing wrong. Actually, it'd be good to look around at some point and see the body of Christ. These guys have the best seat in the house because they can see all the church. We can't. So I'm not saying it'd be wrong to look around and see. But we're singing to one another. What, when you're here and you're singing robustly, passionately for God's glory, these truths about the cross that we sang today, the faithfulness of God, this is amazing grace that we sang. When we sing that together, we are encouraged because you are telling, you're addressing me. We're, we're singing to God, but there's this addressing that goes to one another where we're telling each other truth. We're reminding each other. We may not use these words, but we're saying we have access Jesus has made a way. You're glorious, Lord. We love you for your faith. We sang about his faithfulness tomorrow, today. Hold fast. He who promised is faithful. Oh, I know that. Somebody just sang it to me in the room this morning, and I sang it to the Lord. I'm encouraged and I'm strengthened as we corporately, the people of God, sing together. There's something about that. There's something about being together. What happened, I know I've referred to this a couple of times. I was just very moved this morning. If what happened here, if this little play pool, we'll have a baptistry in the new building, but if this little play pool was in my backyard and it was Rob and Pete and just one person going in, that, that wouldn't have had the effect this had. Why? Because we were together. We were witnessing the work of God. We were hearing the testimony of God. We're together as a body of Christ receiving that. And I'm going home encouraged by that, that God is faithful. Going, when I see some of the kids that grew up in the church and were saved, I say, yes, that's the faithfulness of God. And it makes me want to pray more for kids who haven't yet met Christ. Why? Because God's saving young people. So it moves my heart to say, let's see more church kids converted because that's what God does. So see, being together, the sacraments, the spiritual gifts, this didn't happen this morning, but sometimes the Lord will give an impression to somebody, they'll come share it at the mic. I don't get that if I'm at home. That's not on a podcast. Hey, the Lord's laying this on my heart. And then we pray for people. I don't get that on the podcast. I, I'm for the podcast, so listen. But you don't get that if you neglect meeting. It's when we come together. God's speaking something to us. We're praying something together. I don't get that when I'm on my own. People are using their gifts. Someone's ushering and greeting me. I drop my kid off. or I Figuratively, my kids aren't there. They're older, but I drop my kid off at children's ministry. And someone's serving, using a gift of serving, caring for me, loving my kid, telling them about Jesus. See, so as I gather with people, I'm encouraged. I'm spurred on to love and good deeds. If I sit home and listen to the podcast, I get none of that. I'm, I'm encouraged by the preached word. 
And if you're on vacation or you're sick or you're in the children's ministry, thank you. If you're there, listen to the podcast. Yes, I listen to podcasts from other churches, but other pastors. But that's different than my own family and what God's saying to me in the local church that I'm a part of. See, we encourage one another as we gather. So if, don't neglect gathering together. Why? Because we're trying to get our numbers up? No, we're not trying to get our numbers up. We're trying to have the people of God encourage one another, and it's not going to happen if they're lying on their couch just hanging out, and it's not going to happen if they're just downloading the podcast and we're not singing to one another, we're not serving one another, we're not testifying to one another. I mean, here's a great example. A few weeks ago, we ordained a guy. If you weren't here, a new elder, we ordained, officially ordained Bob Hughes. There were some testimonies about his life, and then a number of things happened in the ordination service, but that was one thing. And as I heard those testimonies, I was like, I was spurred on. I felt like I was getting spurred, going, wow, Bob invested in that guy. Lord, I can do that. Lord, I think you want me to do that. I want to be like that. I want to care for other people, serve other people. Even something like an ordination service, I was spurred on. I was encouraged in a way that was just powerful. So what he's saying is don't neglect meeting together because you will not stir one another up alone. You will not stir one another up to good works alone. Use this illustration multiple times, but it's like a, it's like a pile of charcoal. If, if you have a gas grill, just imagine with me. But if you have a pile of charcoal and you light it, and it takes a while, maybe it takes 15 minutes for it to heat up or something like that, but if you take one of the pieces of briquettes, charcoal, and put it off to the side, in 15 minutes when you come back, you'll have a pile of red, reddish-white, burning, heated charcoal, and you'll have one that's, that's dark and has no fire to it at all. Because the key to the charcoal is they, they, they help one another, they draw heat from one another, and it spreads. And that's exactly what happens here. Be together, meet together Sunday morning in a small group, over coffee, one-to-one Bible studies, uh, however you meet together, hospitality. Meet together because as you do, you will, the, the heat of the Lord, the encouragement of the Lord will spread one to another. Don't be the isolated one. Don't be the isolated charcoal who just, oh, occasionally I kind of check in, but I read a lot of books and watch Christian TV and I, I listen to like six podcasts a week. Yeah, you're the charcoal over here that's not heating up and growing and not doing the part God has for you. I say that because I love you. You're missing the access you have. You have access to God individually, for sure. But you're missing the access that we have together to encourage one another to hold on, to confess our hope, to stir one another up every Sunday morning when we're together. I can't fulfill God's plan for my life, steward my gifts, be used by him, glorify him apart from his people. And I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about any local church that preaches the gospel. So if you're from another church, what all I'm saying to you is about plugging into that church where you are, your home church, not this church, but wherever God's called you to be, you plug in there. And so then, because we have access, draw near to him in worship, confident, heart cleansed, grateful for salvation in Jesus. Hold fast that, that he's welcomed us and he's always going to welcome us. Don't waver because he's faithful. And he's going to hold on to you. And lastly, think about strategically, strategically how can you stir others up, even in, on, and I'm, the application was Sunday, as you come, as you greet, as you fellowship, as you pray, as you share what God's doing in your life after the sermon, be great to break into conversations right now about all kinds of stuff. And maybe even like, what did God say to you today? Or what did you learn today? Or how did God encourage you? What did you think about, well, how did God speak to you through the baptisms or the songs or whatever? So we're talking about the Lord, encouraging one another, doing that over lunch perhaps. 
Uh, We're doing that, encouraging, stirring one another up as we model, as we care, as we speak to one another, as we worship, as we hear together and apply. So we've got access. Let's don't hold back. Let's press into the Lord. He welcomes us. He commands us to come and experience the blessing of his presence. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.